0: Hello, and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here. It is now November 2020, just a week before Thanksgiving, and we are starting in the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's be honest. When we hear others speak about the book of Revelation, we usually hear things like the tribulation period, Armageddon, the fall of Babylon, the rapture, or there is no rapture, or The rapture doesn't happen at that time. It happens at this time. And then there are those that just kind of remain neutral and call it the pan out type of scenario where whatever pans out is what they plan on living through. But I believe it is important for us to know exactly when these things happen because it will affect the way that we live now. However, That's not what the book starts with. The book of Revelation is a revealing, or as we heard last week, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. This message of this book comes from Jesus, from God to Jesus, to the angel, to John, to the churches in Asia Minor, and then lasts all these thousands of years and is written for our benefit. And this message that was given in verse 1, it says that it must shortly or swiftly come to pass. Meaning when it starts, it will continue quickly. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. He sent this message through John, who wrote it down for us to keep a record of it as a testimony of who Jesus was and of all the things that John saw that he was supposed to write down. For John was, and God gave us this message not to simply debate and argue and discuss all of these fantastic ideas of end time scenarios, but to obey God in all that he says within this book. Remember, there's a blessing on those. Oh, we'll read that in the next verse. Let's go. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written inside of this book, for the time is at hand. Remember, this was written over 2,000 years ago, and even at that time, the message was, these things are going to happen very soon, very quickly, and very swiftly. And there is nothing else on the calendar that has to happen before These things come about. A reminder that John became the apostolic leader of the church at Ephesus following the death of Paul and the destruction of Jerusalem in Rome by 70 AD. The Ephesian church had established a number of daughter churches throughout that area in the province of Asia. Ephesus is now modern-day, what we call modern-day Turkey. And did you catch the blessing? Blessed is he who reads this book and keeps those things which are written inside of it. This book offers a unique blessing to those who read and keep the words of this book. And it's also, this particular blessing is just the first of seven Beatitudes of Revelation. Since I believe that the Word of God is truth, the entire Word of God, I would have to read the entire portion of Scripture If I left out Revelation, I would miss these blessings. You would miss out on these blessings. So let's dig in. In verse 4, John continues to speak to the seven churches that are in Asia and sends them greetings. He gives them grace and peace. He always talks to them of grace first and then peace. For there is no peace outside of Christ unless you're under his grace. And here is the entire outline of the book. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I can tell John is a preacher man and he believes what he is saying. And we need to remember that John saw all these things with his own eyes. And this is what he's writing down, an account of all of these things for us. As John speaks of Jesus, we can see that Jesus is... In eternal existence john sends grace to you and peace from him who is meaning present presently and who was in the past and who is to come in the future which gives us a picture of the eternally existent being that god is the verse goes on to speak of the seven spirits which are before his throne before god's throne these seven spirits, according to J. Vaughan in his book of on on 50 sermons, says that the seven spirits are found in that remarkable sevenfold action by which he works upon the soul of a man. Though the influences of the Holy Ghost are indeed very many, and the enumeration of them might be extended very far, they do range themselves with a very singular exactness under seven heads." He goes on to say that the open heart, like Lydia's, is to show us that what we are to make us feel sin, and especially sins done against Christ, and that is the Spirit's first work. And then he goes on to say that the Spirit shows us Christ, the Spirit comforts. After this, the Spirit proceeds to teach man how to become a child of God, and for where he teaches, there he sanctifies. That's one more aspect. And he is also an intercessor who makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he also seals the soul which he has made his temple in our bodies. As some proprietor, when he goes Way puts his mark upon his jewels, so the Holy Ghost fastens you to Christ that nothing may ever divide you. He gives you a comforting assurance that you are a child of God. He makes in the soul a little sanctuary of peace and love. As Ephesians explains, the Holy Spirit within us is kind of like a down payment for us that seals us to Christ until he returns for us. As we go on, we see that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead. Well, there was that one time that Lazarus jumped up out of the grave when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the tomb, stinking and wrapped in burial cloths. However, Lazarus had to die once again for it's appointed unto man to die. But then there will be the resurrection. But Jesus is the only one that died and came back to life. You know, there's more evidence that he came back to life than there is that you were born. I mean, how many witnesses were there when you were born? Your mom, your dad, maybe, maybe, and the doctor. But... There were witnesses everywhere when Jesus came back to life and came out of that tomb. Do you see the picture of the Jesus that John is describing that came back to life? That is a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. Yes, there are rulers on here, on this earth right now, but Jesus is the king of all of them. And one day he will set down his foot on this earth and rule and reign but right now this is the ruler the glorious one who came back to life who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood by dying on the cross for us and he made us a kingdom a royal priesthood in christ and his glory and dominion or authority are emphasized throughout the entire book. Verse seven goes on to say that, behold, he, meaning Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This is a reference back to the minor prophet Zechariah in chapter 12, where the future deliverance of Jerusalem is being mentioned in verse ten speaking of jerusalem they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son they shall weep bitterly for him as one that is in bitterness for his own firstborn charles spurgeon also commented on this portion of scripture he says we know of a surety because god has said it that the Jews will be restored to their own land, and that they shall inherit the goodly country which the Lord has given unto their fathers by a covenant of salt forever. But, better still, they shall be converted to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, and shall see in him the house of David restored to the throne of Israel. You see, right now the eyes of the Jews are blinded. They were disobedient, so God pulled them out of the picture temporarily and is now using the church to further his works here on earth. But the church did not replace Israel. There are two covenants at play here. The Jews are still under the Abrahamic covenant, those that are in the physical line of the Jews Should they choose to step into the spiritual line, as we explained in the covenant series, if they walk through the outer courts, into the inner court, through that veil that has been torn from top to bottom because Jesus died on the cross for them, just as he did for us, then they can step into the holy of holies and be part of the spiritual body of Christ. Oh, there's so much more packed into this, but now's not the time to get into it. So we will continue with verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. If you have a red letter Bible that you're reading, you can see that this last verse, these words are, actually the words that Jesus spoke himself, testifying of himself. So not only did John bring these things to us, but Jesus actually spoke them to him. And John is making it very clear that these are the words of God. This was not just hearsay. The Nelson Study Bible has something to say about this aspect here in verses 7 and 8. It says that the four aspects of Christ's return are mentioned, each of which alludes to another passage of scripture. He will come with the clouds. In Daniel 7.13, in the sky, every person will see him, Matthew 24.30. Those who pierced him, Zechariah 12.10, that is, those who rejected him and wanted him to die will repent and mourn and wail over him. This refers to Christ's return to the earth to establish his kingdom, not to the rapture. The Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet, refer here to God's eternality and sovereignty, and possibly to the fullness of God's self-revelation. So these few verses would have to be about an eternal being, because that covers the span of about 3,000 years. John continues in verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You know, I spoke with my husband and I told myself I wasn't going to go verse by verse in all of this because I'm not a Bible theologian or a scholar, but I'm just trying to keep it all straight in my head, and it's easier to go by the outline that God has already made for me. So we'll continue in verse 10. I was in the Spirit, John said, on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and Pergamum, and Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now remember, as we continue reading, John was living in the first century world, and he had first century experiences of things around him, and he used those words to try to describe what he was seeing. So in verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of those lampstands, one was like a son of man clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive for evermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." Wow. Okay, take a deep breath. Being in the presence of God is a beautiful thing when you know Him. But when you see the judgment that can come from it when you're not saved, yeah, I can see how that would be scary. But let's continue because perfect love casts out fear. And God is perfect love. So we need to get to know who He is. This part of scripture is a description of Jesus Christ as a judge. He has the authority both over the church and the world. The seven candlesticks or those lampstands that we saw in verse 20 were the seven churches that are actually mentioned in verse 11 and will be explained more in chapters to come. The mention of the Son of Man is a messianic title from Daniel, and it was actually Jesus' favorite uh, term for himself. The garment described in verse 13 is a judge's robe, the white robe with a golden sash. His hair, his white hair, it doesn't mean that he's an old man who's grumpy and he's sitting up there waiting to push the smite button on you. No, that's not it. But the white hair does symbolize justice and purity and glory. Fire is also a symbol of judgment. The brass and the the sound of the voice show Christ's authority and power. The seven stars are identified in verse 20 as the angels of the seven churches. The sword that comes out of his mouth also represents Jesus' judgment. And the word of God is also considered the sword. And Jesus will judge the church and the world through his word. I hear it said a lot that, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And that usually from unbelievers. But if you read the scriptures, you find that there are places that we will be judging. God even reminds us that we will be judging angels. Did you notice John's Reaction to the vision? Yeah, he was scared. I would be too. I'd be on my face and overwhelmed by the glory of God before me. One day we will see him face to face. But Jesus comforted John. He told him not to fear, just as he did to the disciples in other places, to the apostles. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, Well, 26 and 27, it says, But when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And again in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, He said to the apostles, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. But they awoke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' this is our god this is jesus the wind and the seas obey him at the word of his mouth things happen i've been in prayer many times recently and because of what's going on in the world stage and i used to be able to wholeheartedly pray get him lord expose the evil and work this out for your good As I know, his word says that he will do. But I also am always stopped recently because I have to remember it's God's timing on the world stage. And all of my prayers recently, more now than they have in the past, have ended with, Nevertheless, thy will be done. Because I don't know the timing of my last day on this earth whether it be through death or rapture. But that timing is up to God. But do you notice the comfort that Jesus gives John, that Jesus gives the apostles, that Jesus is now offering for us? There's comfort in the Holy Spirit. There's comfort in these words, even here in Revelation, even though we know by God's word what is coming, There's comfort if we remain safe in the arms of Jesus. And another reminder here verse 19 is the key to the entire book of Revelation. It gives us the outline of what the book is about. Write these things which you have seen, John, and the things which are now, and the things which will be hereafter. There's your timeline. So as we go through the rest of the books, we'll see the past, the present, and the future. Commentators have broken down this three-part structure of Revelation as this. The things which you have seen as Revelation chapter 1. The things which are Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this. Revelation chapters 4 through 22. And verse 20 reveals that each of the stars are angels for the seven churches, as seen in the seven candlesticks. Now, why would each of these churches have its own angel? And why does Jesus hold these angels in his hand? Well, some people, some commentators believe that these angels are the pastors of these seven churches. And this idea was based on a literal understanding of the ancient Greek word translated angel, agalos. And that word literally means messenger. And certainly pastors are messengers to churches. Others have thought that the angels might be guardian angels over each congregation. Some have suggested that the angels are not literal beings at all, but they just represent the prevailing spirit of each church. Commentators disagree in some of these areas, but the angels are representatives of each congregation in some way. And the next time we gather together, we'll be hearing about some of these churches in chapter 2. For right now, I think of John and the vision that he saw and heard from Jesus. And I'm reminded that he was in that island of Patmos that was supposed to be like a prison. It wasn't a comfortable place to be, probably more like caves with mice than a home with cushions and sofas. Most likely, much more suffering going on in John's life at that particular time. And I suppose if it were me going into a cave like that, being stuck there, I might sit down and mope and give up. But John didn't. He kept going and did what the Lord asked of him to do, and that was to write these things down. God kind of, even though it looks like the worst thing in the world to be shut out, away from everyone, separated from everyone in this, on this island of Patmos, it actually gave John time to write all these things down. What are we doing while we're shut away in our homes right now during COVID? Are we using this time wisely? Are we learning from the things that are going on around us? Are we changing our life? Is our heart changing? Are we getting closer to Jesus and are we still doing the things that he asks of us? Or are we giving up? Yes, life is hard, but God is always good and we can still draw our strength from him. He fills us with his light. He fills us with his truth. And he is the way jesus is the only way i'll finish here with something that f b meyer wrote the tribulation and patience of jesus are essential conditions of his kingdom we cannot exert the divine energies of the latter unless we are willing to take our share of the former there should be no lord's day without our definite claim to be in the spirit and if we are in the spirit every day Is a day of the Lord. The seven churches are distinct in their several characteristics, but one in their blended light. Here is an example Jesus was in the midst on the cross, he is in the midst where two or three are gathered, he is the Lamb in the midst of the throne but he is also in the midst of the collective life of the church in her earthly ministry and warfare. Stand tall, church. Jesus is with us. Jesus is for us. May you and your family be blessed this week as you gather together on this national day of Thanksgiving. Because of Jesus, we have much to be thankful for. Thanks again for listening to Moments with Moni. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with your friends and head on over to momentswithmoni.com for more information on the blog and podcasts.